0: Welcome to the North Sound Church podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning as um, we worship together. Blessings to you online as well as you worship with us um, too. It's just great to have different ways that we can come and worship God this morning. Well, it's good to be here on the first Sunday in Lent as we join with our brothers and sisters around the world in this practice that is a part of our Christian faith. Um, it's different for different people across the world, isn't it? If you think of the, the people, the believers who are living in Ukraine in the midst of uncertainty and their um, what does Lent mean to them? You know, on Wednesday we um, took the ashes on our forehead, and it was you've basically you've come from dust to dust you will return. And what must that mean for those Ukrainian believers who see the dust of buildings around them? And yet, God invites us to this time of Lent as we follow Jesus to the cross. We have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, don't we? Those first followers didn't as, they, as Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem and invited his followers to do the same. But we do know that the journeys that we are on as believers are also uncertain. We don't know what is coming with, for us in our journey. And yet we also are reminded and invited to follow God. So we're invited to let go of something often or add something during the Lenten season. Um, a pastor friend of mine, he would always joke that um, often we end up giving up something that we should have given up anyway because it's not good for us, right? Um, or that it's a chance for us to kind of um, recommit and re-engage those New Year's resolutions that we made that have kind of faded in the last few weeks, But really, this invitation goes much deeper than that. It's an opportunity to recommit ourselves to following Christ and acknowledging that part of that invitation to follow Christ is to lay down our lives for his sake. So when we let go of something or add something to our lives, it's a practice of remembrance that Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to follow him to the cross And we've accepted it at some place along the way. And so we do this for our benefit, for our remembrance. With that in mind, I just encourage you during this time, if there's something that maybe you can add to your life or maybe take from your life as a way to recommit yourself to Christ during this time. So for me, I've added the practice of spending 10 minutes a day in silence. Um, I set a timer so I don't have to pay attention to the clock. And for those of us who are in the Followers Made class, we actually have all been invited to do this practice. Now, the author of Chair Time, which is the book that we all read to get inspired to do this, he talked about starting um, with 15 to 30 minutes of silence. But I quickly knew that that was not that was not. I was not able to do that, let's just be honest. Ten minutes was good. And so that's what I'm doing, ten minutes of silence. The question that I have brought before God and I continue to bring before him is, what do you desire me to weed out and what do you desire me to cultivate in my life, in my relationships, in my work? I've heard him say, to weed out angst. And to cultivate gratitude. And sometimes, some mornings, I don't hear much of anything. But I still know that this practice of being silent and of listening is one that's training me to keep my ears open for the ongoing voice of God. And so that's what I need in this season. It may be different for you, but I encourage you to find something that you can use to recommit your life to Christ during this time. Well, today we are beginning a new Lenten sermon series on the Ten Commandments. um, We've been reminded over the past few weeks of the study, um, as we've studied Moses, of his story, how God led his people into the wilderness where they became a nation, not by geographic location and identity, but by God's presence with them and their belonging to him. God used 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as a context for his people to unlearn the identity that had been etched into them when they lived in Egypt under Egyptian rule and to relearn that they were the children of Abraham, chosen, invited, and blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Now, many times in the first five books of the Bible, God reminds his people who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God. This truth is scattered through his commands and ordinances, which he lays out in Exodus and Leviticus and then repeats many of them in Deuteronomy. The lives of God's children, and our lives included, are set apart in some ways when we acknowledge that God has a claim on us. I am the Lord your God he says. The beauty of the 10 commandments is that within these 10 laws there is a description of a civil law that honors God in right vertical relationship and also honors humanity in right horizontal relationships. Regardless of our religious heritage, really, we can pretty much agree that these 10 guidelines are helpful for describing a society that all of us could live in and thrive in. So in the wilderness, free from the oppression of the Egyptians and also free from the distraction that perhaps land ownership would create, God led his people and gave them a new identity— He reminded them who he was and who they were. So as we look at the first two commandments this morning, we're going to focus on three facets of who we are as God's children and in the light of Christ's death and resurrection. Where our freedom is secured, where our allegiance is rooted, and where our attention is focused. So first of all, God reminds his children, including us, where our freedom is secured. In verse 2 of Exodus 20, God says to his people through Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God reminded his people that their freedom was from Egypt and it was secured by them, by him. When, his, when this people first moved to Egypt, it was at the invitation of the current pharaoh at the time, who was Joseph's boss and friend. But we read in Exodus eight. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. This new ruler had lost sight of his heritage and the way that Joseph, as Yahweh's servant, had saved the Egyptians during the famine. So having lost that perspective, all this new leader could see was this thriving people as a threat to be oppressed and suppressed and a resource to be exploited. And so it was into this context that God brought Moses and spoke words of promise and hope. In Exodus 6 6, he says to the people, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment I will take you as you I will take you as my people and I will be your God And God fulfilled his promise He redeemed them from the Egyptians out of the land through the Red Sea and to Mount Sinai the mountain of the Lord His words are future tense, promising his I wills, change to past tense, I have. We see the reminder, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt over 80 times in the Old Testament. God redeemed them from the land that had become untenable for them. And he also redeemed them from their identity as slaves. They were instructed to remember God, their redeemer, and their renamer renamed from aliens in a foreign land to a people bound together by God, and from an identity as slaves to an identity of God's very own. God brought them out of Egypt and to a wilderness so that he could make a people his own, ones who found home in the presence and found their freedom and identity in his work of redemption. And then if we jump to the Gospels, we see that Jesus came into the world to secure our freedom, though not as many expected at that time. Rather than coming to take us out of the world, he actually came as light into a dark world, and he moved in. Jesus experienced a setting apart as he went from the highlight of his baptism to the barrenness of the wilderness as well. And he lived what the Israelites did. He lived what the Israelites did, and he was tempted as they were. In the moments of desperation and hunger in the wilderness, he still knew that the freedom that he had was secured in God alone. And then as, he, as Jesus spent his last evening with his disciples, he prayed to his father for his followers, not that God would take them out of the world, but that he would protect them from the evil one. By his death and resurrection, he ushered in the kingdom of heaven and he invited us, his followers, into a liminal space between the now and the not yet. Yes, the kingdom has come through the spirit in our lives and in our communities. And at the same time, we live in a wilderness where the kingdom is not complete. Every week, we repeat the words, your kingdom come, because that request is not fulfilled yet. As his followers today, we long to put down roots of certainty, but instead, we're invited to find our identity and our home in a kingdom that is not of this world. Our freedom is secured in Christ And it's in the truth that he speaks and that he embodied on earth. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said this to some of the early believers. And then he added, if you continue in my word. As he spoke, those that were listening kind of got stuck on the implication that they were not yet already free. But Jesus was calling them. To a freedom of spirit that became ever more dependent on him. A couple verses later in this same conversation, Jesus says, If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Once again, God in Christ reminds us that he has redeemed us. He has set us free from a kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God and from an identity as slaves to this world to an identity as friends of God. We are all invited to this journey of freedom, continuing to grow in our understanding of Christ as truth, and where we can be rooted in him, the vine, and where we are called friends. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you slaves, but friends ones who know what the Father is doing. And so we can continue to ask the Father what he is doing and listen for his answer. We're invited to continue to live as recipients and agents of his freedom as we live between the now and the not yet. So how does this bring us back to the Ten Commandments, since this is really what we're supposed to be talking about this morning? God was describing to his people what it looked like when they fully comprehended what it meant that God was their Lord and the one that had rescued them from Egypt and from slavery. First of all, he described the relationship between God and his people. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Our allegiance is rooted often where we hope we are most safe and most able to thrive. A people who collectively live in the reality of God's power and and desire to redeem us hold a united commitment to worship God and God alone. So when we come together on Sunday mornings, it is to collectively give God his rightful place with no other gods before him. And when we go about our days during the week, what we watch, what we do, the attitudes and convictions we hold, the conversations we have, our prayer is that God would weed out of our lives anything that might be placed before him. Our capacity to have no other gods before God grows as we continue to listen and hear and respond to his truth. Now, Jesus' work with his disciples was preparing them for the time that he would be absent in body, when they would carry on his work by being his hands and feet. There was that poignant moment in Jesus' ministry in John 6 after calling many disciples to a commitment that they weren't willing to make. Jesus watched them walk away and turn aside. They had reached the end of their allegiance to this new leader who claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior that they had been waiting for. At that moment, Jesus turned to the twelve, the ones that he had poured his life into, and he asked them, Do you also wish to go away? And Peter, the one who often seemed to speak before thinking, he replied in a way that I think we all can reply, even when the future is unknown. But our allegiance is rooted in God. And he responded to Jesus that day, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So how do you respond each day to the question, do you wish to go away? Or maybe the opposite of that, do you wish to follow me today? What does it look like for you, for us, to deepen our allegiance to God? And now as we move into the second commandment, God describes his people as those who, on a very practical level, do not put anything in the way of their view of God, but focus their attention on him alone. In the culture around the Israelites, there were many graven images, many idols. Perhaps they were attempts to make tangible an intangible God. And perhaps that is what we do today, not with animals or images of what we may think God looks like, but with with static ideas on how he works, who he loves, what pleases him. And I wonder if sometimes our convictions are based less on our attention to God and his desire for all people to know him and more on our own desires for a world that makes sense to us. There's something interesting that I noticed as I was reading in preparation for this. Throughout the story of the people being rescued and journeying in the wilderness, As I said before, God was always acknowledged as the one who brought them out of Egypt. But the one time they credited Moses, this man, was when the people approached Aaron and demanded a graven image be made. So in Exodus 32, the people said to Aaron, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Before Moses headed up the mountain to receive the law, the people were consecrated and expectant, focused in their attention on the God who had delivered them. But as they waited, they became restless, and they lost that sense of expectancy and attention toward God. They diminished the work that God had done for them. They lost focus on God, and in doing so, they turned their attention to something that could not save, that was a poor substitute for the Lord, their God. And if we jump to the New Testament, Jesus' followers were invited over and over again to focus their attention on him, not on their ideas of the kingdom. In what, when one situation, in Matthew 20, the mother of James and John boldly came to Jesus and asked that her son sit on his right and left in this new kingdom. The focus was on power and position, and she wanted her sons to be successful in this new kingdom. And it never hurts to ask, right? But Jesus used this to remind his disciples that the focus of this new kingdom was not like others. He said in Matthew 20, 25, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus invites them to put aside the graven image of power and position and turn their attention back to him the one who uses his authority to serve and his life to ransom many. And so what blocks our sight of God or distracts us from fully attending to him? So as we close, I invite you to ponder this week. How does our community reflect the community described in Exodus 20? It's Lent a time to be set aside to recommit ourselves as followers of Christ? How do we live individually and as a community that believes and continues to grow in knowing that our freedom is secured by Christ alone, that our allegiance is rooted in him, the true vine, and that our attention is focused on him, our perfect Lord and shepherd? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this invitation to recommit our lives to you from wherever we're at. Thank you for your graciousness toward us. Lord, I pray that as we dig into this description of your people, I pray that we would find ourselves in it and that we would grow in our desire to follow you wholeheartedly to turn our attention to you, to feel secure in you, and to be allegiant to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please